and he's using the devil's power to deceive us and to tell us that he is from God. So, so you know what? In, in order to, for them to get around believing in, it, in him, they just attributed his power to the devil. Then we see right after this, in verse 37 of chapter 11, Jesus is invited to a dinner um, at the home of a Pharisee. And they criticize him for not following their ceremonial hand-washing tradition. Now, this is more than just that Jesus didn't, like, wash his hands before a meal. And they were like, ooh, that's gross. Why don't you wash your hands before you... No, it was, it was more than that. This was, this was a religious thing that the Pharisees did. This was a ritualistic thing that they did. It's not necessarily prescribed in the Bible, but it's something that they saw... Uh, that they thought everybody was supposed to be doing in order to be faithful to God. So they criticize him for this, and that leads to Jesus giving them this really harsh rebuke. You guys may be familiar where Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because this and this and that. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And uh, he really goes after them. He really denounces them. And then right after this, verse 53 and 54 says, when he, being Jesus, when Jesus left that place, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to interrogate him about many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. So after these big, these, these conflicts, he had conflicts before in Galilee, but they really get elevated. And what happens is, you know, before the Pharisees and the scribes and the enemies of Jesus, they were kind of curious, like, who is this guy? Maybe they were jealous. Maybe they were suspicious. But now the tone changes and the heat turns up and they begin to actively plot against Jesus. Now they, they used to like, well, I don't know about this guy. Now they're like, let's destroy this guy. We need to take this guy out. And this sets the context for our chapter, chapter 12. It begins with, with all of these things going on in the background. Again, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's talking about uh, uh, being crucified and, and killed, and, and his enemies now are starting to, starting to really begin to try and, and fulfill that prophecy. So with all this in the background... Um, even though our our passage is from verse 13 to 21, I just want to read verses 1 uh, all the way through 21 in chapter 12 just to give you a feel for, for the context and the feel for the intensity of, of this moment when Jesus tells this parable. So let's look at chapter 12, verse, verse 1. It says, Under these circumstances... Well, what's that? That's what I just described. Under these circumstances... After so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that, uh, and after that have no more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? Then he said to him, Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist in possessions. And he told them this parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So it is with the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So again, I want you to get a feel for the intensity of this moment. This, what we just read about the foolish man who stored up his possessions and his crops for himself. This is, this is the passage we're focusing on. But, but again, I want you to know what's, what's going on when the man asked this question, when Jesus tells this parable. So picture this in your mind. We have this large crowd gathered to hear Jesus. And the crowd is so massive that people are trampling and stepping on on one another. Then you have probably in this crowd a group of some of the Pharisees who are just like lying in wait, ready to trap Jesus, ready to find some fault in him. You have the 12 disciples there, too, and probably even a larger group of those who were uh, closer disciples of Jesus all gather around to hear what what Jesus wants to say. And he starts with this this pretty strong statement. He warns against hypocrisy, and he directly calls out the Pharisees. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And he talks about fearing God, which we just read. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but be afraid of the one who can cast you into hell. This is pretty strong stuff. He talks about confessing and denying Christ and blasphemy of the Spirit and being put on trial for your allegiance to Christ. And, and this is a heavy sermon that Jesus is giving here. This is an intense moment. Luke Timothy Johnson in his commentary uh, uh, says this about, about this moment. He says, In everything Jesus now says, there is danger for him and his followers. And to heighten the tension, Luke has Jesus surrounded by a crowd so large that people are being trampled. The atmosphere is electric as Jesus turns to his disciples to teach them. 
So Jesus is, is in this tense, this electric environment, giving this heavy sermon. And he's talking about these heavy spiritual realities. He's talking about the, these, these deep truths of the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, a man interrupts Jesus. And he blurts out, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Basically, he's saying, Jesus, my brother won't give me my stuff. Tell him to give me my stuff. And it seems like this request just has nothing to do with what, what Jesus was talking about. Jesus is talking about these, these heavenly realities. And this guy's got his mind on possessions and on earth. And, and this kind of puzzled me at first. I was like, why is this, why is this here? You know, what does this have to do with with what you're, we're talking about. It seems like it has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. And then I realized, well, that's the point. This man didn't really care about what Jesus was talking about. It seems like he just wasn't even listening to what Jesus was saying. He only came there because he wanted Jesus to tell his brother to give him stuff. And, and maybe that's the only reason he was there in the first place. Maybe he didn't even want to hear Jesus' sermon. Jesus was talking about discipleship. This man's mind was on inheritance, money, possessions, earthly matters. Now, let me say this. It was normal, actually, believe it or not, for rabbis to make judgments on matters like these and to get involved with things like inheritance. They were interpreters of the law of God, and the law of God speaks about uh, how to divide inheritance. So they actually did get involved in these things. So it wasn't like this guy's thing was totally out of place. But it was just an inappropriate time for this man to be making this request. Jesus was talking about God, and this man's thinking about himself. Jesus was speaking about the kingdom, and this man was only interested in his own kingdom. Jesus' thoughts were on heaven, and heaven I mean that in not literally like a place where their God dwells, but on on. God, God related things, kingdom of God related things. Jesus thoughts were on heaven and this man's mind was stuck in the here and now on earth and he couldn't get it, his mind off of that. And if I can be a, just a little bold and and say something, I, I want to say this. I want you to know I'm, I'm applying this to myself as well. But let me just be bold and say we need to learn a lesson from this church. And we need to get our minds and our hearts off of the things of this world which do have some value and we need to think about those things we those things have their place god made the material world but those things are temporary those things are passing away and we need to get our focus and our minds and our hearts more onto the things of god those things that have greater value than the things of earth those things which are eternal and will never pass away and sometimes our minds, it's so easy to get ourselves stuck on the here and now, and we miss those greater things that God has for us. And we need to learn a lesson from this man. So Jesus responds to this man's request. And, uh, and he says this in verse 14. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, the 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 form of the Greek word here that's translated man it's in it's in a particular form that indicates that Jesus was directly addressing the man who answered the question 
And the context tells us that this was actually a rebuke. So it's like Jesus is speaking, you know, of all these things, and this man yells out from back here in the crowd or over here or something, and it's almost like Jesus turns right to the man and he says, Man, what are you talking about? Who appointed me to judge you? This isn't, this isn't my place. I didn't come here to deal with these earthly matters. My purpose is greater. I'm focused on doing the will of the Father. That's what I came here to accomplish. It's not even my place to be talking about, about this. He kind of rebukes the man. It's, 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 you, you might not sense it in the English, but I think it's meant to be pretty strong what he's saying here. So Jesus refused to get involved in, in this man's family dispute over, dis, over his possessions. And here's what, what he did instead is, I think, genius. He actually used this opportunity as a teaching moment. And he used this time to warn against greed and to, to teach what attitudes disciples of Jesus are supposed to have toward material possessions. And in doing this, he actually turned the conversation away. Like this man kind of tried to, was trying to pull the conversation toward you know, the, the things of this earth. And, and what Jesus does by using it as a teaching moment, he actually flips that back around. He turns the conversation and the focus back on spiritual things and back on discipleship, which was the first thing he was trying to teach to them anyway. Now, we don't really know if this man had any right to, to really, if he had any real claim on his brother's inheritance. We just don't know. If, if his request was just. We don't have enough information about this situation to tell if he was actually in the right or maybe the other brother was in the right. We don't know all those details, but there is one thing we can deduce for sure is that Jesus saw greed in this man's request. And we know that by the next thing Jesus says. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For life does not consist and an abundance of possessions. Let's talk about greed for a second. Greed can be defined as this. Greed is an intense and selfish desire for something. The Greek word here translated greed is the word pleonexia. And it refers, it was used in, in classical Greek to refer to a covetous desire for more material possessions. It was also used to refer to an immortal lust for power and also inappropriate sexual desire. So this word greed, um, it can also be translated covetousness. So greed, coveting, even lust, the word lust, it, it all is kind of the idea of all these words are kind of related together. It's like this, this desire for more and more and more. It's like, it's kind of like drinking water that makes you more thirsty. Like the more and more you consume, the more and more you need, feel like you need and want to consume. That's what, that's what greed is. We know that the 10th commandment forbids this. It says you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Know the Old Testament has more to say about it that we'll leave out for now, but the New Testament also talks about greed. In Mark, it says that greed defiles a person. The book of Ephesians uh, commands believers to stay away from greed, even so much so that it says greed should not even be named among us. 
The false teachers were motivated by greed, including the Pharisees who were greedy. And Colossians 3, 5, Paul actually equates greed with idolatry. He also talks about the love of money um, and that the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. It causes people to wander away from the faith and it brings grief into our lives. And Jesus himself said, you cannot serve both God and money. Greed is a hindrance to the kingdom of God. It's a source of grief and it has no place in the life of a Christian. So Jesus warns us to stay away from greed. And then he tells this parable to illustrate his point. And as I, I mentioned at the beginning of this message that what, what he does with this parable is Jesus set fo sets forth this main character, this rich fool in the parable. He puts him forth as a negative example of what not to do, what to not to do with wealth. And what we learn from this story is, is how not to use our possessions. The point is this. Don't be like the fool in the parable. Don't imitate this fool. So that kind of brings up a question, which I think can, can guide us as we, look at, as we look at this passage. The question is this, why was the rich fool a fool? What did this guy do that was, was so wrong that God looked at him and said, you fool? I want to propose this. I want to propose that the rich fool was a fool, not because he had an abundance, but because he used what he had to serve himself and not to serve God. And as we walk through this parable, we're going to look at five foolish actions of the fool. These five things that that he did that we are not to imitate. So let's we're going to walk through this this passage now. And uh, what is it? Eight eight oh five now. So OK, we got plenty of time. Stop me if I'm going too long or something, but. I think we'll I think we're good. Um, but let's just walk through this parable and uh, and see what it has us to teach, uh, see what it has to teach us. Starting in verse 16, it says the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So here's the first thing. His land, this guy's land produced an abundant harvest. So let me ask a, a couple questions here. Number one was was this man a fool? Because simply because he was rich? Well, I think there's a few uh, examples of people in the Bible who were wealthy, but were also considered righteous and wise that we can, we can kind of look to to help us answer this question. Uh, for example, Abraham in Genesis, it says, was wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. Isaac, for example, became rich because of his land, uh, because his land produced an abundance of crops. is actually pretty similar to the man in this, in this parable. King David, we know, had plenty of wealth. Job seems to have um, quite a few possessions and, and some wealth, you know, on, um, in his life. So um, being that these people were both wealthy and considered righteous and, and men of God, I don't think that we can say that necessarily he was wrong or he was a fool just because he had riches, not for that reason alone. Now let's ask this, was he a fool because he got his wealth through evil or unjust means? Now the Bible has a lot to say about people who gain 
money and wealth through through evil means. James, for example, gives a really strong rebuke to the rich who don't pay their workers, who are presumably much much poorer than them. They're basically just ripping poor people off to keep more money. Jeremiah seventeen eleven. I, there's an interesting uh, scripture here. It says, "Like a partridge that hatches eggs, it did not lay." are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them, and in the end, they will prove to be fools. So yes, gaining wealth, gaining material possessions through evil means like stealing, ripping people off, or an injustice, abusing the poor, this is definitely foolish, and this is definitely wrong. But, there's nothing in this story to actually indicate that the man got his wealth in this way. In fact, it seems that it was uh, the opposite case. Um, it seems like this man was maybe intelligent and uh, resourceful. Maybe he was, a, he was probably a pretty good businessman or a good farmer who gained his wealth by knowing what to do with the resources he had, by working hard, knowing how to work his land. And, uh, and his land yielded a successful harvest. So I think that, that this first verse is actually the only part that this man actually got right. Um, so I don't think that, that just by virtue of being rich or producing this abundance and, and taking in this abundance that uh, this was the foolish part. But let's go ahead and, and look at what comes next. Verse 16, or 17, I believe, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink. And be merry. The first thing I want you to notice is who was this man talking to? He was talking to himself, that's right. So he doesn't know, he just got this abundant harvest. He doesn't know what, what to do with it, but he doesn't go ask his friends. He doesn't call his business associates or consultants and ask, What should I do with this? He doesn't go to his wife or his family. And he definitely doesn't pray and ask God what he should do with this blessing that he just received. He only consults himself. And that is, I think, the first foolish action of the fool. He consulted with himself about what to do with his possessions and not with God. And I want to ask, have you consulted with God about what to do with your possessions if you so happen to have them? Have you prayed and asked him, where to invest your resources. Let's not be like this foolish man and forget to ask God that before we decide what to do with the things that God has so graciously given us. Now notice this also. There's a lot of first-person pronouns being used in this passage. I, me, my, myself, right? Um, let me just go, th go through this again, right? It says, um, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do, as he's talking to himself. 
I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy. Live the good life. This guy's like obsessed with himself. It's, uh, it's almost, I don't know if Jesus meant it to be funny, but I find it kind of funny because this man's talking to himself about himself. And I think that kind of serves to highlight the selfishness of this man. This man was also selfish. And notice this also. He saw his possessions and his abundance as exclusively belonging to himself. He says, my crops, my barns, my surplus grain, everything is my, 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 me, me, me. Now, this was interesting for me because as I was thinking through this, I thought to myself, but wait a second, it was his, wasn't it? I mean, what's wrong with that, right? He went, remember the question I asked at the beginning, remember he, he, this was his land, he worked hard, he worked smart, he didn't go cheat anybody, he didn't steal, he didn't use some kind of, you know, sell, sell drugs to go get this money or something like that. So it was his, right, since he earned it fair and square. Well, I think that we have to answer that yes and no. And what I mean is this. Yes, it was his in an earthly sense. And like it, it was his in the sense that like you or me couldn't go up to and go steal it from him or, or, you know, go freely use. Nobody could take it from him rightly. He had the right to... He had the right to do what what he wanted with it to a point. But he forgot one important detail. He forgot that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and that God is the possessor of heaven and earth, and that everything that exists in this world, including all the things that we can say are mine, this Bible belongs to me, Matt Feldner, because... I bought it on Amazon or something, you know. Now, if Ryan comes and tries to steal this from me, well, that's wrong. But ultimately, this is God's Bible because God's the one who created the material that it was made out of. God's the one who created the, the pens and the, and the pages or, and the, everything that went into to writing this. God's the one who inspired the writers. Everything we, we have comes from God and everything therefore is ultimately God's which makes us at best stewards and because we are at best managers of God's possessions even when we in a sense own them we are responsible to God in how we use our possessions now this man this foolish rich man forgot this actually he probably never even realized that and he never realized that it was God who was the one who blessed him with this great harvest he had who makes crops grow it's God it's God who gives the growth it was God who gave him success in his business it was God who made his land produce it was God who made the land in the first place so what he should be saying at this point is not hey me what do I want to do with this he should be saying God, thank you, thank you for blessing me 
with this amazing harvest. I don't even deserve what I already have. And you just added more to me. Thank you so much for putting this blessing into my hands. Now, what do you want me to do with this great blessing? And let's not be like this foolish man. Let's not forget that all we own, no matter whether it's very, very little or it's in a huge abundance, all that we own is ultimately it belongs to God. So here's the second. This is the second foolish action of the fool. He looked at his possessions as belonging exclusively to himself. He forgot God was the owner, master and Lord of all things. The third foolish action of the fool is this. He hoarded his abundance instead of sharing it with those in need. Luke 12, 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. So all he did with this great harvest was put it away. Instead of taking it and putting it to good use. He just stored it up and left it alone for no one really to, to be able to use other than himself whenever he felt like it. Now, let me, let me nuance this a little. Let me ask this question. Is it wrong to save? Is it wrong to, to have a savings account maybe and put some money? Is it wrong to store some things away um, for, for ourselves? Well, as I was thinking about this, the first uh, example that came to my mind was the story of Joseph. And as you guys know, we're studying the book of Genesis here on Thursday night uh, with Pastor Joe, and we're actually uh, talking about the story of Joseph. And uh, as you probably well know, Joseph um, uh, was in Egypt, and there was uh, seven really, really plentiful years where the land of Egypt produced these great abundance of, of grain and food and great harvests. And, uh, and what, what Joseph did was he actually uh, advised Pharaoh and, uh, to take some of this and store it away in barns for the time when there would be a famine um, so that they would have something to eat. So, so Joseph, you could say, Joseph stored away in barns so we can't say storing or saving in in itself is necessarily bad. And and yeah, I had this thought. Maybe even this this man in the parable, if he was a, if he was a real man, maybe he would have went around saying, "Well, look, I'm just like Joseph. You know, Joseph stored away in barns, and he was a righteous and wise man. So that's all I'm doing. I'm putting my crops in in the barns, right? Right? I'm doing I'm doing a good thing, right? Or or maybe even a a preacher might might preach that one day. Hey, you guys should really, you know have a big savings account because Joseph stored away in barns, right? But, 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 there are a couple differences between this man and Joseph's situation. First of all, Joseph and the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time were specifically and prophetically warned by God, told by God, that a famine was coming. They were actually told, like, a horrible, severe famine is going to last for seven years and nobody's going to have any food to eat. So it was actually wise to prepare for that. Another thing is that when, when Joseph stored this grain up, it wasn't like he was adding this stuff to his personal 
wealth. You know, he wasn't storing it in his own barns. He wasn't adding it to his own bank account, per se. He was storing it up for the whole land of Egypt. Now, he was probably paid well, having such a high position in Egypt, but he wasn't building personal wealth. Yet, he stored this up to be used for a specific purpose. Namely, he stored it up so that he could share it with others when the need arose. That was the whole point of it. So it's actually, it turns out that it's really what Joseph was doing was pretty much the opposite of what the rich fool did. The rich fool hoarded his wealth for himself. Joseph stored up to share with those in need and to make sure that Egypt and that the whole ancient Near East would have food to eat and not starve to death when the famine came. And God had a purpose in that. He was doing it for God's purpose. God's plan was to save many lives. Again, by contrast, this man stored up to add to his own personal wealth, to build his own kingdom, and to use what he had for his own personal pleasures. Now, on top of that, remember this. The man was already rich. He already had an abundance stored up. And all he did was take his surplus and take this new surplus and pile, stockpile it on top of the surplus that he already had. So storing up, saving, it's not always wrong. But there's a difference between storing for a purpose and hoarding riches for yourself. And again, that's the fourth foolish action of the fool. He used his possessions to serve his own pleasures instead of serving the kingdom of God. Verse 19, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. He wanted to use all of his abundance on his own pleasures. He didn't think of anyone else in need. He didn't think of God. He didn't want to build the kingdom of God. He only thought of himself and how he could benefit himself from this immense blessing. And that's really, I think, where we see greed in this whole in this whole story. Now we get to verse 20 and we see what God thought of this man. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now this man thought he had a good idea, but God said, no, you're a fool. Now, I want you to notice, too, why specifically in this verse did he call this, this man a fool? He said, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. It was foolish for him to store up so much for himself because he forgot that his life was temporary. He forgot that he was going to die, and, and, and we don't know what tomorrow is going to be. We don't even know if we're going to be here tomorrow. But this man was foolish because he was so secure in himself that he was like the master of his own destiny. And he wasn't thinking, oh, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe I, I won't be here. But, but he just thought so sure, like, yeah, I'm going to be here for such a long time. Let me put all this away so I can live it up and love, love my life. But he forgot that his life was temporary and that he was and he didn't know he was going to die that very night and all his abundance was just going to go to waste and that's the fifth foolish action of the fool he forgot his life was temporary 
He didn't live his life in light of eternity, nor did he live his life in light of the sovereignty of God. And speaking of this living our life in light of eternity, being that one day we will pass away or Jesus will return and we will lose all of our possessions, what does that tell us about our possessions? It tells us that at best everything we own is really like a really long lease. You know, it, it's it's almost as if the money we I paid for this Bible, it's like I own it, so I feel like I can keep it. I can keep it forever. Well, I can keep it for a really long time. Uh, well, hopefully a really long time. I can keep <laughs> keep it. Maybe if I live till till eighty or something, wh- what's that? I can keep it for another fifty years. But at best, it's a really long lease. And this realization that our lives are short and that we could die at any moment or that Jesus could come back at any moment, it changes our perspective on material possessions and on wealth. And, and it should. And this man just didn't have that in his equation, but we need to. And it should guide us, this fact should guide us about what we are to do with our resources. Now, once Jesus gets done telling this parable and he talks about some other things having to do with wealth and possessions he goes right in to verse 35 and and he starts talking about the second coming he says be dressed be ready for service keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from wedding bank banquet so that when he comes and knocks they can immediately open the door for him it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And this is the posture that we need to to live. This is a posture of our lives that we need to live in this this ever uh, readiness, this this constant awareness that Jesus is coming back, and He's coming back soon. And you might say of of the disciples who He's talking to here, well, well, He didn't come for a long time; it's been like two thousand years. Well, maybe, but it doesn't matter because Jesus wants us to live as if He is coming back tonight. We need to keep that in our the forefront of our minds, and especially in making decisions uh, that have to do with our material possessions. And the fool forgot this. The fool maybe thought he was in control of his destiny. He maybe thought he was sovereign. The main point is he didn't consider God, and he didn't consider the soon coming return of Christ. So let's uh, summarize the five foolish actions of the fool. Number one, He consulted with himself about what to do with his wealth instead of asking God. Number two, he forgot that God is the ultimate owner of all things. Number three, he hoarded his abundance instead of sharing it with others. Number four, he used his possessions for his own pleasure instead of for the kingdom of God. And number five, he forgot that his life was temporary. And these are five things that we are not to imitate. Remember the point of this parable. Don't be like the rich fool. 
And based on these foolish actions, maybe we can we kind of flip them around and come up with some things that it might be some wise actions to do to take with our possessions. Let's do the opposite of what this guy did. Uh, so I came up with with these based off of based off of pretty much the opposite of what this guy did. Number one, keep your focus, keep the focus of your life on God. Use money, possessions, wealth as much as you have them to serve God and the kingdom of God. Consult with God about what to do with what you have. Remember that ultimately God owns everything. We shouldn't hoard our possessions, but we should share them with those who are in need. We shouldn't use our possessions to serve ourselves, but we should use them to serve God and his kingdom. We need to remember that life is temporary, and we at best have a long lease on our possessions. So in light of that, we should live our lives and manage our possessions in light of eternity. So then Jesus ends the parable with this warning. Verse 21. Well, let me start in verse 20 again. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The fool's folly was that he was not rich toward God. Now what does it mean to be rich toward God? And what do we do with our possessions? We're going to have to come back Sunday to find out. So let me close by praying for you. Thank you, Jesus, for your wisdom. You're all-knowing because you are the eternal God, God the Son and the Son of God. We thank you for teaching us how to live, Jesus, not, not just something as, as simple as what do we do with our money and possessions, but, but why, why, why should we treat them in this way why should we use them for the kingdom of god why should we not get so attached to them because this world is not our home because we belong to a different kingdom because we have greater realities we have greater treasures and as we give our wealth away we're storing up treasure in heaven that doesn't rust that doesn't fade away that will never be stolen from us that is kept safe for us safe Treasures that are worth infinitely more than anything we could possess in this world. And we thank you that through faith, through what you've done for us, Jesus, that we can have promises like that. And I pray you would help us to live in light of, of that truth, God, and all the truths that we heard tonight, God. I thank you for what you've done in my heart through this parable, through other passages and the New Testament. And, uh, and I pray, God, that the same would be done in, in the hearts of whoever's hearing this message tonight and whoever will hear it online in the future, God. Let your will be done through this message. Let your kingdom come. Speak to each and every heart, God. We thank you for this night. We thank you that your presence was here and is here, God. We thank you that your glory rests on this place, God, and, and on us, God. And we thank you that you're with us wherever we go, God. I pray you would bless every single person here as they go home tonight. I pray that their minds and hearts would be on you and they would be filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit and just be great lights shining in this dark 
world that we live in, God. I pray again you would bless them. I thank you for them, God. And uh, we just give you all the glory, God, for everything you've done, everything you are, and everything that you have done tonight. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thank you all for listening. As Pastor Joe says, I love you all. And uh, you're dismissed. I'll see you all on Sunday.